Malcolm, I get to see stuff that happens behind the scenes. You all don't get to see what's happening behind you sometimes. It's a beautiful day. It's gorgeous, right? And so one of the things we love to try to do when we can is get some natural light in here. I didn't realize until I turned around with the offering plates and went, wow, that's awful bright back there. And so we have people trying to to drop things uh, and, and, you know, so you're not reading off reflections back here, but, eh, you know. If you don't, can't read the words, just make them up. That's what we do. So, now, week four, conversations from the front porch. That's right. You can just make them up. No, it's okay. You can sing. He's singing down here. He's doing what I told him. Um, conversations from the front porch. And you know you're kind of getting into the the back end of a sermon series when your help gets ornery. Every week, some of you are asking me about this, every week that we've done this to kind of fill out the table, Jenny Godfrey, John's wife, uh, has made some sort of a drink, lemonade or punch, to be up here on the table. (laughs) Today, if you can't see this, This is what she did. And this was her comment. This was, I'm not sure what this says. She said to me, I wanted to see if you'd notice. <laughs> now, I will confess to you, I'm not always the most observant individual in the world. But how do you think I was going to miss that? I had a, a pastor that I, as we're talking about heirs today, that, that I was a, a student. Um, I was appointed one summer in my time at Duke to work with him at a church, Mount Hermon United Methodist Church, just outside uh, Raleigh-Durham on the way to Greensboro, if those of you that, that know the area. And uh, great, great guy, dear friend to this day, learned a lot from him. And, um, but he would make me, when you would drive to the church, uh, the parsonage was right next to the church. Many of you know those days, you know, where the pastor's residence was right on church property. They're not allowed to do that anymore. We're not allowed to do that because pastors need to get away too. But, uh, but his house was right next to the church, and he would make me pay attention to when the grass had been cut. He cut, cut the grass. And if I didn't mention that the grass had been cut, he would chastise me. Now, that sounds kind of silly, but, but this is why. He wanted to teach me to be more observant. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to convince me, to, you know, trying to get me in the habit of noticing things and, and things. Because it's not a, you know, like I said, it's, it's not a, an inherent gift for me. But again, this, this I could notice. This I would pick up on. This morning we talk about having an heir, H-E-I-R, somebody who sits in that chair, which has been our visual each week, as will be for the next few weeks, who we pour into in a different way than, than what we've talked about in these past weeks. You know, we've talked about having true friends and, and, and having a people that held us accountable, And very often, those kind of relationships are moments when those folks pour into us. 
But what we talk about today is the way that we pour into others, most often younger people, the, the next generation, if you will. How do we invest ourselves into those who come behind us, if you will? I remember my junior year of high school as a member of the, uh, the football team. We got invited to go to a local elementary school and do a, a football clinic. Now, the thrill of the invitation for most of us was that it got us out of school for the day. We got a day off, if you will. But I'll never forget that trip because we went to Moon Lake Elementary School up in Pasco County. The irony, it was the elementary school that Ryan and Cassie attended their first few years. Many years later, obviously, they didn't overlap. Just seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, we went, and I can remember those kids, especially the little ones, the kindergartners, the first graders, they looked at us as if we were stars. I mean, to them, we could have been the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We probably, at that time, were better. Um, <laughs> those of you that remember... And, I mean, they just, to have us there was, was a thrill. Now, you know, we were an average high school, I mean, high school football team. There was nobody on that team that was going on to be football stars. But in their eyes, we were a big deal. And we had so much fun. And I had one of, one of the most memorable experiences of high school was being out on the field, teaching these kids fundamental football, just basic playing catch with them, showing them how to get in a, a football stance. You know, some of the just the very, very basic things. But it was my first experience that I can remember realizing that even in my limited status, I had something to offer to the ones that were coming behind me. Even as somebody who at that time was looking for my own mentors, as I always am, I had the opportunity to pour into somebody else. That's what it means to have an heir, to, to be a people that pour into the next generation. It doesn't always have to be an age thing, but most often it is. And it's interesting how many of the great leaders, biblical characters, had mentors. How many of them were heirs of someone else? I mean, think about the Old Testament and Joshua who led the people into the promised land and was the great leader, one of the great leaders of the Israelites. He was an heir to Moses. Moses had prepared him, had poured into him. The disciples had Jesus, but even scholars think Jesus spent time with John the Baptist. The, the prophet, going back to the Old Testament, the prophet Elisha was mentored by the prophet Elijah. And Paul who grew up in the Jewish faith um, and was schooled and mentored by Gamaliel, one of the, the Jewish scholars. And then later, when he became a disciple, sought out Barnabas, who mentored him. So many of the great leaders were, the great mentors were once themselves mentored. And then in turn, they poured out into others. And that's what Paul does. That's our focal person this morning, really, is Paul. Paul, who was mentored by Gamaliel, Paul, who was mentored by Barnabas, 
would then turn around and mentor Timothy and would become Timothy's and, and would seek out his own heir, his own younger person, who was probably about 16, scholars think, when the time that Paul um, and Timothy developed their relationship. Paul, T- Timothy, who was raised by a single mother, but was raised in the faith and became a spiritual heir, a spiritual son to Paul. And I want you to hear what Paul says about him. These are just a couple verses, and, and this is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the, the letter that bears his name. But this is how Paul starts it. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then down at verse 18, he says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. Brothers and sisters, this word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. That we would fight the battle well, gracious Lord, that that, that would be our charge. And that we would be spoken to in these moments by these words and by your word to us as we grow in our faith in Christ. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. You need a spiritual heir. You need somebody in your life that you can pour into. You need a family tree. And and I don't mean necessarily biological, though it can be that. But I mean those whom... You share, you invest in, you pour into so that they may fight the battle well. I I, I thought about that language that, that Paul uses. And I think that is very, very, very significant. Because if you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the, the scripture that very often is read at memorial services and funeral services, Paul says that my time is, is coming to an end. And he uses that language, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. So Paul understands that he's contending for the faith. He's in a battle, if you will for Christ and for the hearts and minds and the souls and the spirits of of others. That's his whole life is about seeking to bring others to a saving relationship with Jesus. But what Paul understood and what we have to understand is that the battle doesn't stop when our life ends. The challenge, the ministry, the contention for the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it goes forward after we have entered into glory. So the challenge is, the question is, the framework of the entire message and the, 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 the challenge to have an heir is what are you doing with your life now so that when your days on this earth are through, you have prepared those who come behind you to continue the fight. What are you doing now so that your legacy, your life will make a difference? Well, 
what are you doing now so that you're going to keep living after you're dead? And I don't just mean, though the most significant way is in the sense of how we have life in Christ, but, but how what you do will make a difference after you're no longer here. See, that's what Paul understood was so very, very important. And he begins, as he was poured into by others, to begin to look for those whom he can pour his life into in very powerful and connected and intimate ways. And Timothy becomes that model. And he has a relationship with Timothy, and he invests in Timothy, and he empowers Timothy so that when his fight comes to an end, the contending for the gospel will continue. And it's an interesting thing, if I knew where I put my Bible. Here we go. To notice what Paul does in many of his letters. If you were to, to kind of just skim through and you start to look at some of the ways that Paul uh, begins, not all of his letters, but, but many of his letters uh, in, the, uh, in the New Testament. I didn't bookmark these, so, so bear with me for a second as I get to them. Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. That's how he begins. If you went to 1 Thessalonians, he begins Paul, Silas, and Timothy. 2 Corinthians, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. In other, part, in other of his letters, he begins from Paul and your brother, my partner, Timothy, Paul begins to push Timothy to the front. Paul begins to invest in, in Timothy so that his legacy and the fight will continue. The question for us today, who are we investing in? Who, who are you investing in? Here, here's the thing. and There's, there's a lot of, of ways that, that this message could be framed because we need to, to have Timothys and we need to be Timothys. But, but as I think about our congregation and I think about our demographics, the reality is I think our greatest challenge based on, on who we are is how are we pouring into others. Because we're, um, we have a large population, a lot of, a lot of you, that are... Um, Experienced in life. No, uh, no, 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 no. Please, please hear me. Hear me. I'm not throwing that out there as for a cheap laugh. I, I don't mean that. I don't mean that in anything but this. But, but you've, I mean, we're not, look, let's, let's say, we're not a bunch of 20-year-olds in here. Okay? There's maybe a few of you, but, but as a whole... You've, you've got life experience, and, and I don't mean that. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not teasing you. I, I'm not, not digging at you. Or I, I'm being serious. You, you've, if experience brings wisdom, then a lot of you are very wise because you've had a lot of experiences in your life. I'm trying to figure out how to do this without y'all thinking I'm teasing you. <laughs> I'm not. I don't know what it says about me that you guys always assume I'm, I'm tweaking. <laughs> I, 
I, I listened to a pastor. I, th- I think I've shared this with you before. But his name is Matt Chandler. Matt's church, I believe, is in Dallas. And, and I, I talk like I know Matt. Matt's one of the, um, the big kind of celebrity pastors, and I don't say that in a negative way. He's an incredible Bible teacher. He leads, you know, one of the largest churches around. But, but I heard him say once that his church is, it's a very young church. A lot of um, young professionals, a lot of 20-year-olds and, and 30-year-olds. And he talked about his church, and a lot of pastors go, oh, that's awesome. We'd want that kind of a church. He said, man, he said, we are begging. We are begging retirees to come to our church. We're begging the older generation to come and be a part of our community. He said, because we need their wisdom. We're a bunch of 20 and 30-year-olds, and we got a lot of energy, and we got a lot of passion, and we have a lot of ignorance. We need mentors. We need people to come and to invest in us and to help us by sharing with us their wisdom and their experience and their, their knowledge. We need to be the heirs for others. We all need that. Sometimes we also need to be challenged to seek out the Timothys that we can pour into, that we and you and I can invest into, like that experience I had as a high school junior when I realized that there was a group of young people, young kids coming up that were looking for people to look up to and learn from. Well, that that doesn't cease with age. That doesn't stop. Timothy needed a mentor, but Paul needed an heir. We, We need to have heirs. We need those whom we can invest in. And what does that mean? I think that's the challenge. What does it mean to invest? Well, here's what it means. It means to spend time. It means to, to give of yourself. To, to even sometimes sacrifice some of that time. Because learning happens in this kind of a relationship. It happens by osmosis. What I mean is, the greatest lessons that we pour into those who come behind us, whether it be our children or whether it be our heirs, whoever they may be, is the lessons we share in our presence and in their ability to watch us, not always to hear us. We know that words we speak are important. The, The wisdom that we share is important. But you know what? The example that we model is far more significant. You know this. You know this. That that the... The, the way you live and the decisions you make and the choices you, you model for others give far more credibility to what you say. You know, I, I have believed in our household and because I was raised this way that the greatest example, I, one of the greatest examples I can show my children is the way that I treat their mother. One of the greatest things I can do for Ryan and Cassidy is to show them that their father treasures their mother. And not simply by the words that I speak, but by the way that I... Now look, I don't always do that well. I'm not... You know, Tony, oh Lord, I can't wait till the next sermon. Um, (laughs) If you don't know, because my wife sits back here with the praise man in the next service... 
I, I don't always do that well. I don't always get that right. But I try. And that's because I had a mentor in that. We, we teach by osmosis, by presence, by being together. You know, it's interesting, the early church, if you go back and you read Acts, the early church, when they met together, the early followers of Christ, and they worshiped, they did it in homes. They didn't have churches like this. And they did it around a table, table fellowship. When they had and they shared the meal of communion, they did it as a meal. Because table is where fellowship often happens, where relationships happen. And so we need to be willing to give of ourselves. I don't know what that means for you. I don't believe that there's a blueprint for how that lives out for each of us. But we need to be a people that are willing to invest, to give of ourselves for those who come behind us. But the second thing we have to be willing to do is to, to let go and to recognize that heirs are not clones. I want you to think about something. A baton. Imagine this was a baton. You've all seen relay races. In the Olympics, and it's the Winter Olympics right now, but the Summer Olympics, when they do the 4 by 100 relays, and they pass the baton. Why don't you think about that action of passing a baton? If I hand this to you, you can't grab it the same way I do. You can't hold it exactly the same way in the same place that I do. It's not possible. If you're going to take this from me, you have to grab it somewhere else. You have to hold it a little bit differently. Maybe it's in the same position, but it's not in the same place that my hand was. And I have to let it go so that you can run with it. You see, too often, we want heirs to be clones. We want them to look like us. We want them to think like us. We want them to act like us. But they're not. They're not clones. We pass on our knowledge, we pass, but we also give them permission to run differently, to take it and to do something unique and new with it. Joshua was not just like Moses. Paul was not just like Barnabas. Elisha was not just like Elijah. Different, unique, to, to make their own imprint. The world changes. We're not just like our parents were. When, when dad retired um, from ministry from the church in Hudson where he had served for, for 23 years, and um, some of the folks at the church there started to talk about whether there was any possibility that I would come and replace him. And that was flattering. But as we talked, I realized something. They didn't really want me. I don't say that in a negative. They didn't really want me. They wanted Richard 2.0. They wanted my father a few years younger, is what they wanted. Because their, 
the thought was, and this is natural, this isn't a criticism of them. The natural is, well, he's kind of the heir. His father's been his mentor, so he's going to be just like him. And I realized that would have been devastatingly bad because I'm not just like him. I'm like him in a lot of ways. There's a lot of similarities. Yes, I know some of you are laughing. But there's a lot of things that are very, very different between the two of us. My father, Lord, he's going to listen to this, I'm going to get in trouble, is anal retentive. <laughs> and you can tell him I said it. He's going to hear it anyway. So he's the kind of guy that if something is due and he gets an assignment and it's due in three months, he's going to do it now. He's going to do it right now. He's going to get it done. Me... If I got three months, I got three months. As long as it's done by the due date, it's done. We're not the same. That's my point. We're not the, our heirs are not the same as us. They come along, and, and they're different. We have to let them be different. Our kids are different. The next generation, we pour into them, but not so that they're going to be just like us, any more than we were just like those who came before us, unique, invested in, but we pour into them the faith. We pour into them love of Christ and love of others so that they will take the best of who we are and they'll take it where God leads them, just like Timothy did. And, and that happens in a variety of ways, and we have to be willing to let go and let them run with it, but, but we've got to invest. A great image that I, I picked up on this from the book for this. Any of y'all know what this is? A what? A close. It's not the PS, but it's the same, but you're on the right track. This is an Xbox 360. This is a video game console, okay? Now, I guarantee you, <laughs> this is funny, you wait till we get the next, the, the third service, we're going to have the um, kids, a lot more of the kids in here in the choir. They'll get this in a heartbeat. Okay, this is, this is an Xbox 360, this, is a, this isn't even the most recent because they just this year came out with the, the new upgraded version. How many of you remember Atari? Okay. All right. See, now we're going to, yeah, we all remember. Pong. You know, okay. All right. This is, this is the part of the evolution of those game systems. This is in the model of the next generation that builds upon the previous generation, and it just makes it better. It takes the same principle, the same concept. I mean, it's, it's the same concept as many of us played with Ataris. A joystick in your hand that moves something on a screen and you play a game. Now, the games are incredibly different than what you, know, you grew up with or what I grew up with playing on a computer, those first generation, second, third generations. But, but the idea is it's in this line of better, that the, what we pour into is so that the next generation is better. The graphics are better. The games are better. Everything is better. So it takes upon what was before it and just takes it to the next level, uh, makes it more advanced, okay? In 2006, an interesting thing happened. This came out. Anybody know what this is? This is a Wii. This is a video game console. But it took more in a unique direction. 
Now this is not graphically as advanced as this. The, the chips, the, 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 the processing power, isn't as advanced as this Xbox. And in 2006, this was the most highly sought-after video game console in the market. So 100 million copies in 2006. Nintendo, who makes this, wasn't even prepared for it because it sold so fast. Because this didn't just seek to be better. It sought to be different. And if you know what a Wii is, you know. And if you don't, it, what you do with a Wii is you hold one of these in your hands. And no longer do you sit and play this way, but you participate in the game. Games like Wii Bowling, where you don't do this, you do this. You throw, you swing, you, you, stood in, you st stand in front of a television with a monitor or with a sensor up there, and you participate, you play the game. It's interesting, a lot of um, nursing homes and retirement centers have these now because it gets people in their own way active. The idea was it didn't just seek to be better, it sought to be different. Those who come behind us, we have to allow them to be different, to be who they are while holding fast to the tenets of, our, of the faith that Christ has poured into us that we're challenged to pour into others. You know, the, the, the question is, are you pouring? And are you pouring? Do, do you have an heir? Do you have those who are part of your family tree? And I, again, I don't just mean biologically. Those who you are investing in. Because I will tell you this. They won't always admit it, but our younger people are hungry for it. They long for it. The relationships that you give and, and the impact that you make. But sometimes you have to seek it out. And you have to be intentional about it. And I have to be intentional about it. Having a number. And that's what Paul did. He had somebody in that chair that he poured into. So that when he was gone, the fight would continue. Who do you pour into? On Friday night for Valentine's Day, Tony and I uh, went to dinner. And we went to the movies, which we don't do just the two of us very often. And we went and saw Saving Mr. Banks. And have you seen that movie? Ah, I liked it. It was good. It was a good movie. But, uh, you know, it's kind of based on a, on a true story, and, and I always know kind of those stories like that. I, I'm always fascinated to kind of go deeper. So when I, when I uh, came home Friday night, uh, I started to kind of do a little research on P.L. Travers, who was the writer of the Mary Poppins books, and she's one of the main characters in, in the movie, and um, not the most pleasant person you're ever going to experience if you've seen the movie. And in real life, I was reading about her life, and I read this quote that her grandson gave after she died. I think it's one of the saddest things I've ever read. He said after P.L. Travers died, she died having loved no one, and no one loved her. Who do you love? Who loves you? Don't 
let that be, and, and I don't think it is for anybody here, but, but take that challenge seriously. I think it's one of the saddest things. Died loving no one, and no one loved her. We're called to love, to pour into, and in so we will make a difference. Have an air, make a difference, because that is the way of Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we, you know what? Challenge us. Just challenge us, Lord, to, to be honest about where we've been selfish, about where we've not been the givers that we've been called to be, and remind us that, that our charge is to invest in those who come behind us, the love of Christ, because somebody has for us. May we take that seriously. May we love and be loved because that's the way of Jesus. We pray in your holy name. Amen.